Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Kevin Kelts. One of my all-time favorite songs, songs right there, um, talking about God's love and He loves us. And that was so hard for me to really believe for so many years that God, the Father, really, really loves me. Uh, Because for years, I was convinced that Jesus, Jesus loves me because, uh, you know, I was taught that he died on the cross for me and, and he loves me. I even sang a song about him loving me when I was a kid, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But, you know, I was taught that God was mad at me. (laughs) I was taught that God was making a list, checking it twice. He was keeping a record of wrongs and uh, and that God was kind of bipolar. The father was. And uh, and so, you know, he was. He was just this this uh, this person that I didn't understand, and and so uh, I can tell you part of my radical uh, coming to this this uh, freedom and love and understanding of God was that song, man, and and just like every time we sing it, even today, I still tear up and just like I'm like He really does love me. <laughs> so. Um, I do want you to check in this morning on our Exchange Church Facebook page. Uh, if you do, go ahead and use the hashtag Souls for Souls. And uh, when you do that, your check-ins are helping to provide a pair of shoes for a child in a developing nation. So a child in need, that's really cool. And uh, welcome, welcome, welcome this morning. I'm so glad that you came. I'm so glad that you tuned in this morning because today's message is awesome. It is something that I'm excited about. And while we were singing that song, while we were in worship, I just, I felt like, man, so many things were being downloaded into my, my heart uh, that I want to, I want to share with you. So uh, we've been in this series about, uh, it's called Irresistible. And uh, if you've missed any of it, I would encourage you to go and get on our Facebook page and watch those sermons. And in, if you didn't, I would just encourage you to go back and and these needs to be foundational things for you uh, to be able to just watch them over and over and get them in in your heart. We've been talking about how Jesus, when he came, he inaugurated a new covenant. Everybody say new. It's something new. Um, there was a lot of new when he came, a new covenant, and and it wasn't just with like the old covenant was just with a certain group of people, the the nation of Israel, this certain certain group of people in this certain time. He brought this this new covenant. And it was for everyone. It was for the entire human race. And we've talked about how this new covenant was it was intended to completely replace the old one, the old one that was between God and the nation of Israel, the one instituted by Moses and 
uh, that, that nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. The new covenant that Jesus came to establish was not an addendum to or an addition to the old one as if Jesus was saying, you know, what we had was good. We're keeping that. We're just adding some stuff to it. We're pepping it up. And it's going to be all good from here. No. In fact, <clears throat> I want to read to you something that's really cool. Take, uh, just write this down and go revisit it later. But um, the uh, Apostle Paul in Hebrews 8, he, he writes this. And, and so always understand context. Understand that, that Paul was a Jew. And, and so he lived first century, right? Christians, right after uh, Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, uh, this guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and so he is a Jew, and in this moment, he is writing to Jews who understood the Old Covenant. And so this is what he says. He says, now the main point of what we are saying, so he's not talking to you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews who were, were under the law and are, are now, they are being transferred into a new covenant. They were under the old covenant, being transferred into a new covenant. He's trying to explain it to you, and he says this, we have such a high priest. Now, to you and me, that doesn't make any sense because we've, we've never had anything like a high priest, right? Like, that, that just kind of doesn't make sense to us. But he says this. It would have made sense to them because in their covenant, they would have a high priest. And the way that their relationship in that covenant with God worked is they would go to the temple, and, and it was this, this whole religious ritual where they would bring a sacrifice. They would bring a lamb. It had to be a firstborn lamb. It couldn't be spotted. It had to be exactly the way. And they brought it to the who? The high priest. And they had this high priest who was very important. And this high priest would, would examine not the person, but the sacrifice, right? The lamb. And then he would perform the sacrifice. He would kill the lamb and all these different things. He says, we do not have a high priest who, uh, we do have a high priest, he says now, he's, he's talking about in this new covenant, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So who do you think he's talking about there? Jesus, right? And he says, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord. So talking about the heavenly father, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So now he's talking about the old covenant, which they would understand. And so it was necessary for this one also to uh, have something to offer. So now he's talking about Jesus, right? This new high priest. If he were uh, on earth, he would not be a priest for there are already priests to offer gifts prescribed by the law. So what is the law? It's talking about the old covenant, right? They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Okay, but listen to this. Listen to this. This is why Moses has warned when he said he was about to build the tabernacle, see, okay, and he, he talked about everything according to the pattern that you show on the mountain. But listen, verse 6, this is what I'm getting to. Listen to this. 
But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received, so this high priest, he's trying to get these Jews to understand, this new high priest has received, it says is superior. Everybody say superior. So what does that mean? It's better, right? It's superior to theirs as, listen to this, the covenant of which he, speaking of Jesus, is the mediator, is superior. He's saying this new covenant that we have now been transformed into, he says, it is also superior to theirs as the covenant which is the mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises, better promises that he later on says where God says, I will remember their sins no more because in the old one, he did. But listen, I'll explain that more in just a second. Listen to this. Um, verse 7. For, Paul says, if they're not explaining to you and me, explaining to Jews under the law, because it's, there's a transition happening. They are still under the law. Even though Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has happened, the law is not done until 70 AD. But listen to this. So verse 7. For if they're had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, so there was something wrong with it. I wish I could go into it, but it was never God's idea. Never, God never wanted it. They came up with it. Man always had, and I'm talking about man, I'm talking about Israel. They always had a problem with seeing God. They couldn't see him. They saw him like everybody else saw their gods. So they came up with a way to relate to him in a way that they could understand him. And it was wrong. And so when Jesus came, he came to set it right. And so Paul says, he says, right here, he says, listen, there was something wrong with that first one. And then he says this, no place, so it says, if there, is no, if there had never been anything wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. And then, let me, let me just skip down to this, verse 13. By calling this covenant new, Jesus has made the first one obsolete. He's not saying that to you and me. He's saying that to Jews still transitioning out of the law. But guess what? We now in 2021 have never been under the law. And he says, and what is obsolete and outdated, he says, will soon disappear. Meaning that the transition is happening and 70 AD is coming. The temple will be destroyed. Jesus has prophesied this. Where, where Paul is saying this, he knows the prophecy is happening. It will come to pass. There will be a point where first temple Judaism cannot exist anymore. And this covenant will not be able to go on any further. And it will come to an end. And then there will be nothing left but new covenant. And when we were born, I was born in the 70s. <laughs> All I was ever born into was a new covenant a new covenant based on better promises. With It's a perfect covenant that God didn't make with me. He made with himself. It's beautiful. Okay, so 
that's what we're going to talk about today. But <clears throat> let's, let's just keep on going into this because what happens is you have to understand if <clears throat> we, if the old covenant is obsolete, like, like, uh, like Paul just said, and we have nothing to do with the old covenant, if we have nothing to do with the Old Covenant, what has to do with the Old Covenant? Well, like the Ten Commandments. But there's a lot of Christians in different places in gear about keeping the Ten Commandments, you know, in certain places of the, of the nation. Like, if that is what we're all about, and I'm telling you, it's not. It has nothing to do with us. And don't shut me out. Please hear where... I'm going because you may be thinking, I remember when I started to see all of these things, I started to ask the question, then what is it all about? What does life look like to live in a new in the new covenant? And and I knew that was a question I've asked because I grew up in a church that was confused. I grew up in a church that taught a mixture of old covenant and new covenant because they just didn't understand that. Uh, proper context, proper historical contextual hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible and how what Pastor Jared went through and showed us how, you know, the, the Old Testament is, wasn't written to us and for us. And, and so what happens is, is you start to, you know, if you were, you know, risen, uh, raised like me out of one side of their mouth and then out of the other side of their mouth, they would tell you, but you better act well, and you better get your act together, and you better change your behavior. And, and, and you know what? I saw that you didn't, so you better run to the altar this morning because I saw that you sinned, and you better get right with God. Because if you, if you come to him, he will forgive you, but right now he's, he's mad at you. They told me, come and believe in Jesus, and he's going to give you eternal life, but for some reason, my eternal life only lasted me a couple hours after until I sinned again after church. And then it was mixture. It was confusing. It was brainwashing me until I was really confused like Jews under the old covenant. I couldn't see the Father. I couldn't see God. Um, you see, through a teaching of mixture, I was brainwashed to believe that the whole thing, that life, that the church was all about behavior modification. But that's not the point. It was never the point. It's not about rules and regulations because we're not under what we're doing, not under the old covenant at all. We're under a new covenant. And, and what we're doing as a church and what we're doing through this, this series is we are real. So today we're going to talk about what does new covenant life look like. It is going to be so Awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. And to find out, all we have to do is go back and look at who started this whole thing. And his name is Jesus, the Son. He came and he started it. You remember me talking about this story where Jesus actually told the disciples that the new covenant was here. Where did he do that? When he sat down to eat Passover with them. And remember what I told you? He started doing it all weird. He started making it about himself. It, it had to seem like heresy, like blasphemy, because 
here they had always celebrated God delivering Jehovah, not really like the Father, but like this all-superior being who came and he set us free. And, and we take the cup, and that represents the blood that was put on the doorpost, and that ultimately let my people go, and Pharaoh was demised, and we, the Jews, got on top. And although we're under Rome's now dominion, we still celebrate that Passover. And, and we've done this for three years now. And Jesus, Jesus, our rabbi, has walked us through this, and he's always done it normal. And this time he's making it about him. And this time he's saying, this is my blood. And he, then he said this, this is my blood in the new covenant. Do this not in remembrance of Jehovah, who is the great deliverer, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And it was weird. It was, like I say, it was like heretical. Or maybe some people, when I said the Ten Commandments don't apply to us anymore, you may have thought I was heretical. But this is what Jesus said. And, and then in John 13, what had happened is, after he says this, all of a sudden, Judas, in a kind of a weird way, all of a sudden, got up and he needed to run an errand. What was that all about? Kind of a weird time to run an errand, Judas. And uh, whatever Jesus needed to say, it needed to be said now. And so he says this, and this is life-changing, guys. John chapter 13, verse 33, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. He said this. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. and You will look for me. He's saying this to the disciples. He says, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, this would have been very shocking. And, and what he said next, they may have not even really uh, listened to very much anymore because Jesus was their security blanket. They stuck with him, and they'd gone all in with him. And wherever he went, the crowds went, and that was kind of protection. They had become kind of outlaws, rebels if you will. Uh, Rome kind of didn't like them because they were always stirring up trouble. And if you remember, the Sadducees and Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, really hated them at this moment. In fact, they're about to take Jesus. They've, they've worked with Judas, and it's all about to go down. And so Peter's thinking, man, where is he going that we can't go? And, oh, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't good. What what is going on? And so all of a sudden, Jesus continues in verse 34, and he says this, a new command that I give you. Now, pause for just a second and remember, context, context, context. Is Jesus saying this to you and me in 2021 in America? No. This is 2,000 years ago. They're still in an old covenant. They're still under the law. Now listen, under the law, you remember they did have the Big Ten, but listen, these people, these Jews under the law had over 600 commandments that they had to follow in addition to the Ten. They needed another commandment like they needed another hole in the head, man. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? And it was also very, like, heretical, heresy. 
Like, who does this guy think he is? You know, saying he's greater than Moses, that got people mad. He was saying that he could forgive sins, that got people mad. Then he was saying that, you know, the 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 uh, commandments, you know, they don't need, we don't even need those anymore. He says you can just get them down to two: love God with all your heart and love people, right? And now he says, like, I'm going to give you a new command. These guys must have thought, oh man, where's it, when's this guy going to stop? Where's the end? And he says this, because what he was about to do, guys, was radical. If you can catch what he says right here, it will change your life forever because it's how to live in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. He continues and he says, a new command I give to you, love one another. Listen, Jesus made love a verb, and then he used the imperative form of the verb. This, in fact, was a command. As in, hey, you guys, go over there and love those people. Jesus wasn't commanding the guys to feel something. He was commanding them to do something. But loving one another wasn't really something new. As it turns out, Jesus wasn't done. He goes a step further. Guys, what came next is unthinkable. What came next changed the world forever. It changed everything. And perhaps if we would move what came next to the top of our agendas, it would change the world again. What came next made his message irresistible. What came next trumped the golden rule. In fact, you could probably call it the platinum rule. He said this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This was new. This was new. Jesus now sets the standard for love. Doing for others as one had hoped somebody would do for them, that was, it was so old covenant. They knew that, right? Jesus instructed his followers to do unto one another as he had done unto them. He raises the bar. This is a whole nother kind of love. This love is anchored to a person. When we read Jesus say, as I have loved you, Jesus died on the cross when he says this to these men. He says, love one another as I have loved you. They didn't think about the cross because the cross hasn't happened yet. Immediately, each one of them thinks back to a personal experience that they've had with him over the previous three years. Each one of these men are transported back to a particular moment, a personal relationship moment where Jesus has loved them, and he has loved them well. I mean, he could have started going around the table, right? He could have called out Matthew. Like, Matthew, remember when we first met, man? Remember where you were in your life? You, you were despised by your community? 
Matthew, remember you were an embarrassment to your family? What did I do? I reached out to you. I accepted you. I said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew, I want you to extend that same love, that same type of grace and acceptance to everybody that you come in contact with for the rest of your life. As I have loved you, Matthew. He could have looked at Nathaniel and be like, Nathaniel, remember the first time we met? Remember how awkward that was? What'd you say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And you put down my hometown, my family? Did I hold it against you? Did I, did I put you down? <clears throat> did I turn my back on you? No. Nathaniel, I, I offered you grace and mercy. I believed in you. I embraced you. Nathaniel, as I have loved you. I mean, he could have he could have looked at, at, at each one of them and said, guys, I mean, remember that afternoon when I had just spoken to everybody and, and, and I know that you were all confused and, and, and I, I talked about eating my flesh and drinking my blood and, and I saw it in your eyes as, as y'all had all thought about quitting. Even you had questioned if, if I was who I said I was. And did I hold that against you? Did I ever bring it up? What have I always ever offered you? Grace, love, mercy. As I has loved you, do unto others. And for good measure, he could have said this. And guys, if you think you have seen love, well, then tighten your sandals because you haven't seen anything. As the hinge between covenants, Jesus' mission was to lay the groundwork from the old covenant that we never knew about. We never have lived in. We were only taught in wrong ways and applied to us in wrong ways out of context, but it was never us. These people were. He was the transition from old into a new. The old covenant includes the laws for the nation to live by. And Jesus' new covenant would include not laws, but instructions for his followers to live by. And here's the thing. This list <clears throat> would not be in, in, engraved on stone tablets. It would be engraved on the hearts and the minds and the consciences of his followers. The instructions associated with Jesus' new covenant could be easily committed to memory. The reason being is they weren't a they. They were an it, just one. The one commandment, which doesn't really sound very commanding, but this should go without saying because I want to make sure that everybody understands this today. The old covenant commands were a part of the old covenant, and we've already said that, but I want to make that clear. In other words, <clears throat> the end of the old covenant, it signaled the end of the rules and the regulations that went with it. You see, Jesus didn't issue his new command as additional commands 
to all these 600 and the Big Ten to the existing list. No, Jesus issued his new commandment as a complete replacement because that now is obsolete to the existing list, including the Big Ten, just as his new covenant fulfills the old commandments. In other words, participants in this new covenant, which are us, are not required to obey any of the commandments found in Moses' instruction to ancient Israel. Participants in the new covenant are expected to live out one single command that Jesus issued as a part of his new covenant that he inaugurated, namely this. What did he say? As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Now think about that. Think about that. The other, it it, it gets so confusing. Because I remember thinking, okay, I got to follow these commandments, and I got to I got to do this and this and this and this and this. And then and then I started really reading for myself, and I was like, well, this is odd. I, I can't eat pork, and I can't eat shellfish, and this is odd. I can't wear clothes of mixed cloths. And, and I was like, there's so many, like, it doesn't really make sense. I was like, which ones? And I was like, well, the fact is, none of them apply to me. I don't live in that covenant. You don't have to worry about all that. It's real simple, but let me read it again. A new commandment I give to you, love to love one another as I've loved you, so you must. It wasn't finished, though. In fact, the significance of what Jesus says in this very simple statement can't be overstated. Here's the best way to understand what comes next, okay? So in the Old Covenant, there was a mark that signified men as you are a part of this. And it was circumcision. If you were a part of this old covenant, you had to be circumcised. That was the demarcation. Everybody knew you were set apart. You're in this. That's how it is. Now, there is a unifying behavior. There is something that marks us as being in this new covenant. It's just very simple. Loving one another. Loving one another. This new command that Jesus gives us is the governing ethic. It's the standard against which all behavior was to be measured for those who call him Lord. John 13, 35. He goes on to say this. He goes, by this, everyone will know It's the mark that you're my disciples, that you're living kingdom life, that you're living new covenant life, that you're a part of the new covenant is what? If you follow all the Ten Commandments, is that what he said? If you keep the extra 600 oral Torah, Is that what he alluded to? If you, did he say, if you love God? What did he say? Remember Pastor Jared talked about last week? He was putting an end to this vertical. Because that's what was taught to me. If you love God, it's all about looking up to God, looking up to God. What did he say? They will know you are part of this new covenant. 
if you love him. It's, it's so good. It's so awesome. His primary concern was not that they believe something in this new covenant. It's that we do something. We're to do something. What's that? To love as we hope to be loved? No. As he has loved us. And when he was saying it, he didn't say it to us. He was saying it to them. And they understood. Just love as I have loved you, Nathaniel. He got it. And he didn't realize how much he was about to get it and understand it. They could never imagine the demonstration that was about to happen. Jesus' new command created a big shift in the order of things. You see, Jesus didn't tether, and please hear what I'm about to say, because this, is gonna, this could be a huge shift for you. He didn't tether his command, his new command, to the anchor that it had always been for them and their Jewish traditions and what they had always believed because they had always had a fear of God. That's why we follow the Ten Commandments. If we don't, right, pestilence, disease, he is almighty God in the sky, making a list, checking it twice. That's not how Jesus presents the new covenant. But that's how it was presented to me. He doesn't do that. He doesn't even present it as dedication to God. Dedicate yourself. He tethers his new command. Love one another as I have loved you. To what? To himself. As I have loved you. You see, he inserts himself into an equation where mere mortals have no business inserting themselves into. And he was purposely making that shift that I was talking about from vertical to horizontal. The eye in the sky days are coming to an end. He's putting an end to it. The litmus test for being a Jesus follower is not the ritualistic days anymore of the day of the week, the festival driven that the Jews knew, the don't forget your goat worship of an invisible God, of, you know, this somewhat distant God in the sky. Following Jesus would not be about looking for ways to get closer to God who dwelled up there, out there, somewhere. Jesus' followers would demonstrate their devotion to God by putting the person next to them, in front of them. That's attainable, guys. And many of us are still doing it the other way. How close can I get to God? How can I? This, it's vertical. It's, it, and it's not how Jesus set this up. Jesus' followers weren't expected to look up. They authenticated their devotion to God by looking around. But the shift doesn't stop there. This is so good. Noticeably absent from Jesus' new command instructions was any references to his divine right, God. And he could have said, because I am God, and I am perfect, and I am almighty, 
I require allegiance and obedience. No. In what is arguably the most future-defining set of instructions, Jesus refused to play the God card. In his final, if you forget everything else that I've told you, please don't forget this. Jesus did not leverage his holiness. He didn't leverage his righteousness or his divinely granted authority. In other words, Jesus didn't say, I am almighty God, I am the ruler, you will do what I say, or else. What did he leverage? Matthew. His attitude. His example. Jesus' love for the men in the room, rather than his authority over the men in the room, is what he leveraged to instruct and inspire the men in the room. And on a personal note to those living today in the new covenant, Jesus' love for you, not his authority over you, is what he leverages to inspire you as well. But that's not what was taught to me. It was a mixture. It was, if you don't do these commandments, he will burn you in hell. That's not what Jesus said. It's just not. It's, this is the foundation of the new covenant, and it looks nothing like that. And so no wonder I ran because the Father God was so resistant. He was a monster. I was cool with Jesus. Me and Jesus were cool. But God? He's a child abuser. He's going to create a place of torment and burn people forever? Is this what Jesus inaugurating the new covenant? Is this what he does? Is that what he says? No. He goes, it's real simple. He's like, as I've loved you, love one another. It's so good. And listen to this. The men that Jesus spoke these words to that are recorded in John 13 would not see Jesus seated in a position of authority on a heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father. They would see him hanging from a Roman cross at the right hand of a criminal. It was his gory and gritty sacrificial display of love, not him getting on a royal <clears throat> throne next to God and opening up the clouds and saying, I am. It was his humility of the most humiliating, degrading death anybody could have at that time. Naked, beaten, bruised, broken. If you were crucified, you weren't beaten. 
If you were beaten, you weren't crucified. You got both. As I've loved you, guys, that's what changed the world. Not a book. What this guy did. He just says, just do it. If you're and, and you're gonna mess up. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But listen, Paul describes this, what Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It's so eloquent. He says, again, he's not saying this to us. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And he tells them, he says, in your relationship with one another, guys, you need to have this mindset of Jesus Christ. He says, uh, actually, he was the very nature of God. <laughs> but he didn't consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Right? He didn't ever play the God card. To, uh, he didn't leverage that to manipulate people for behavior modification. Right? He said, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, but not just any death. What I just said, death on a cross. Jesus did not leverage his equality with God to stir us to action, guys. He leveraged his love. We sing that song, Oh, How He Loves Us. He loves us. This represented a total departure from the old covenant. I'll say that again. A total departure from the old covenant. Jesus did not anchor his new command to his divine right as king. He anchored it to a sacrificial love. So why should the disciples obey his command to love? Because, listen, he loved them first, and he loved unto others as They were to do as unto others as he had already done to them and was about to do in a way that they could never even imagine. Hours later, Jesus' demonstration of love, it took everybody's breath away. Ultimately, it took his own breath away. It took their excuses away. It took all of our excuses away. Jesus leveraged his compelling love to compel us, his followers, to follow rules, to keep the Ten Commandments, to love, setting up this new covenant life by this. Now, did he say this to us? No. But is it applicable to us today? Yes. Guys, by this. You will be known as a follower, as a new covenant believer if you love one another as he has loved us. It's really simple. It's all-encompassing, and it's far less complicated than the current system that you may have been taught that's so, so um, manipulative and so many rules and so many things. It's really very simple. And I'm sure there's somebody here today that had the same questions that I had. Pastor Kevin, sounds way too good to be true. <clears throat> I mean, you mean 
in this new covenant, there are no laws. That's what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. You're telling me that the Ten Commandments do not apply to us anymore. Absolutely, that's what I mean. You're telling me that in this new covenant, that Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb who was sacrificed. And now my past, my present, and even my future sins, because think about it, when he as the Passover lamb was sacrificed, death, burial, resurrection, starts the new covenant that we are now all a part of, all of your sins were in the future. You commit sins before that. All of your sins were in the future, right? So you're saying that all of those have already been paid for and completely. It looks like he loves me always, completely forgiven, always. That's just the way it is. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. The next question is always the then what is stopping me from sinning? You know the answer to the question? Nothing. Please hear me today. The church was not established by Jesus to stop people from sinning. It was never a device for behavior modification. It, we were never deputized to be the behavior police. Never. It was never the point, okay? The church was established to change the world. And the way that we do that is to simply live a new covenant life. And what does that look like? By this, everyone will know that you're a part of this. That's what it looks like. So stop one. Love one another. That's what it looks like. So stop wondering, well, is this a sin? If I do this, is God not going to love me anymore? If, if I mean, can I still do this and still be a new covenant Christian? <laughs> Instead, ask a different question because that's not what we ask in this new covenant. Because in this new covenant, some, if you ask that question, somebody lied to you, and you have some perverted view of the Father and who God is, and it's something that Jesus came and he dealt with with old covenant Jews that had no idea who, who, of who God was. And what happened is, is somewhere along the way, the powers that be took, the Roman Empire ends up taking Christianity. They hated it, and they saw it growing so fast that they take it, and the leader goes, you know what? I'm going to convert to this, and I'm going to make it our whole empire's national religion. No longer are we Zeus and all this many gods. Now we're monotheology. There's one God, and you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create the Council of Carthage, and I'm going to put together the, and they put together this book that we now call the Bible. Listen, do you realize the first wave of, of people that changed the world by simply doing one thing, loving one another as Jesus had loved them, didn't have a Bible? 
Did it have a Bible? Because the Bible didn't exist. As we know it, it didn't exist. And so at some point, it gets taken and it, 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 it gets used. Christianity gets used to control people. And it gets perverted and it gets changed. But what we're trying to do is show you to take it back to what it really was when it was irresistible, right? And so we're, we're, we're talking about what do you ask now? You don't ask. He loves me. He loves me not. If I do this, is God, am I still a Christian? No. You know now in the new covenant, <laughs> I am, he created me. <laughs> I've always been in this new covenant. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm a king's kid. I am a masterpiece. (laughs) There's so much inside of me. Love, peace, forgiveness, kindness. It's 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 just that's what's that's what's in here. Kingdom is in here. It's 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 just waiting to come out. That's what I believe about myself. What I ask about myself is this, and I'll put it up on the screen. What does love require of me in any and every situation? This is the heart of Jesus' new covenant command. The simple question that should stand guard over your conscience as a guide, a signpost, a, a compass as we navigate the complexities of life and culture, right? It should be uh, how we we go through and, and we parent and we boss and we manage and we quote, we coach. It, it, it should be form the perimeter around what we say and, and what we do. And, 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 and for me, as my role as a, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a neighbor, this question gives voice to the new covenant on issues where our New Testament is silent. Like in a mixture, are going to be like, okay, well, if we throw out the, the where the Old, Old Testament is not applicable to me, and, 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 and all of a sudden you're saying a lot of stuff, even the New Testament, well, you know, there's a lot of issues that are, it's not specifically addressed. What do you say about what uh, talked about and addressed? And so it's not specifically addressed. What do you say about what we should do here? And, and what do you say about this? And what do you say about that? It's very easy. In that situation, what does re- love require of you? And if what you're doing doesn't look like loving your neighbor as Christ has loved you, don't do it. And if it does, do it. It's really, it's just real simple. Does it produce life? Does it produce love? It's it's no longer this. It's it's this, right? Jesus is, his, his overarching ethic of love intersects with every imaginable scenario that we have to face in this lifetime. His new covenant, as new covenant people, we, we don't begin or end with a question, what does the Bible say about this or that? That is so old covenant. New covenant people begin with a better question. What does God's love require of me in this situation, in my marriage, in my relationship with my kids, at my job? Remember, for the first 200 plus years, the church had no Bible. They just didn't. In the beginning, the new covenant folks took their cues from Jesus's command. Love one another as I have loved you. They had that from the beginning. 
Everything flowed from that overarching idea. So this is something that you can write down and you can remember. Put it up on the screen from you. When unsure of what to say or do, ask what, what love requires of you. When unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. The instructions scattered throughout our New Testament answer this question. What does love require of me? New Testament instructions are an example of how to love others as Christ in, uh, as, as God in Christ has loved us. New Testament instructions are not there for your benefit, though they may benefit you, right? And New Testament instructions aren't there for God's benefit. New Testament instructions, new covenant instructions are there for the benefit of the one and others around you. Love one another, right? They illustrate what love for others looks like. To say it another way, Paul, Peter, James, and John did not add to Jesus' new command. They simply apply his command. They show you how to apply. Jesus' new command obligates us to wrestle with this new and this better question, but it does something else as well. His new command provides us with a new and better answer to an old question. Jesus' new command forces us to upgrade our answer to the question, why? Why obey? Why forgive? Why tell the truth? Why be generous? Why be good to people? You see, under the old covenant, why did they do it? It was the eye to the sky, right? Israel obeyed because if they didn't, they weren't fulfilling their part of the contract, their part of the covenant, because God made a covenant with them. This covenant is not with, you know, covenant with himself. But if they didn't fulfill their part of the contract, right, there'd be, you know, they wouldn't prosper. They wouldn't be protected. The, their nation would be invaded, right? Old Testament prophets, their writings in their Old Covenant context, it reiterated over and over in the Old Covenant, uh, covenant writings why throughout their instructions to the, na- the, the nation, obedience brought blessing. That's why we do it. Disobedience would result in punishment or perhaps even banishment. Israel obeyed Old Covenant rules and restrictions for their own sake. Unfortunately, listen, that's the nature, force, and tone of a lot of belief today and a lot of preaching today, of mixture. One of the devastating consequences of our mix-and-match church culture is we invariably are mixing and matching Old Covenant and New Covenant wives. We're confusing people about who God is, about the why we do things. It's devastating because Jesus' new covenant came prepackaged with a new answer to the question, why? With the inauguration of the new covenant, why would no one aren't instructed to obey in order to please in God to the eye in the sky, right? Jesus' followers aren't instructed to obey in order to gain something from God. We obey and know who we are. It's because we are his children. He loves us. We understand, and we'll talk about this later on too, but it was so hard for them to even get the notion to believe that God is love. That's why one day, you know, the disciples were walking with Jesus, and they're like, we are confused. Who is he? Show us the Father. 
And what does Jesus say? If you've seen me, I'm the perfect representation of the Father. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is my filter when I read Scripture. If it doesn't look like Jesus, maybe somebody just couldn't see God. We see, sometimes we see through filters. And so we say, um, like my kids, right? My son will come to me and he'll say, well, hey, dad, I want to buy this. Well, he don't have any money. What does that mean? I need you to buy this for me. And I go, okay, what is it? And he says, it's this. And I go, well, why do you need that? Well, because I want it. And I go, okay, I'll buy that for you. Thanks, Dad. You're the best dad ever. He goes to school. Walking around. One kid's talking, I hate my dad. He's like, I have the best dad ever. The next day, he comes to me and he goes, hey, Dad, I want to buy this thing. You don't have any money. He wants me to buy something. And I go, okay, what is it? He goes, well, it's this. $2,900 gaming system chair thingy. I'm like, $2,900? No. But I need it. No. This is not something that's in our budget. We. This is not something. Man, you're mean. He goes to school. He sees his friend. His friend goes, I hate my dad. And he goes, man, my dad, he sucks. Right? Do I suck? No, I'm being a good dad. He just can't see that I'm being a good dad. Right? And so there's a filter that he has where he's at. I'm just saying. Could it be that before Jesus, there were people that wrote things just like this about God, where they were at, and they said he was like this. And then Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, what you've always thought dad was like, here's the filter. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And this is what it looks like. And so it's always looked like the new covenant. It's always looked like this. It's never been about pestilence and and torment and judgment. So. See, in the Old Covenant, the why was centered around fear 
and doing right by God because that's how they could see God. But in the new covenant, the why is always connected to a who. And oftentimes it's the who beside you. Because listen, we understand, we can understand that God is, and, and he created all of this. I believe that. And that I am, I am his. And that this stuff is in me. This, this kingdom stuff, it's not something he needs to get to me. It's already in me. And that, uh, you know, I'm going to fail. Right? So think about Peter, right? So Peter, <clears throat> Jesus tells him, he goes, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, <laughs> Peter's Kevin. I'll never do it. Man, I'm a wild, crazy man for you. I'll charge hell with a water pistol, Jesus, I promise. Man, I'm, 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 ask Jared. Ask Jared, man. I'm, a, I'm crazy for you. I just need you to know that I know this so that you can understand how much I love you. And then he fails. So think about, think about this. So he fails horribly. He can't even stand up to a little kid going, no, I saw you with him. And he's like, blankety blank, whatever. And he runs off and then he fails. Because listen, with when you when you fail, it's not the eye in the sky and 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 judgment and you're going to hell. I'm the I'm this, you know, God that judges. It's not that. You were taught. to filter because you feel bad when you do it, right? That's real. When you fail and you mess up and you're not honest or you, you know, you cheat or you lie, those are bad things. And there is such a thing as sin. And the problem with sin is is not, it's that it leads to death. It kills everything it touches. It will kill your marriage. It will kill your relationship. It will kill. Do y'all understand that? That's why it feels bad when you do it. But you were filtered that if you do that, he hates you and he will torment you forever. But, but what if it's what if what if he's more like Jesus? That after you do that, he's like, Peter. I always loved you, and I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on my son. I even knew you were going to do that. I knew you weren't perfect, and I love you. Now, get this. As I have loved you, one another. That changes the world. Or, or maybe, 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe when you mess up, and I hold it against you, and I don't forgive you, and I tell you you're a piece of crap, and I don't know you, I don't want to see you again, I wish you were never born. Maybe that'll change the world. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jesus was wrong. I don't think he was. Ask yourself this morning, what does love require of me? It's real simple. You know, Pastor Jared and I think that this type of love changed the world once. That kind of unconditional God the Father type of love. Not, <laughs> it wasn't just Jesus' love. It was this God the Father originating like just, man. We think it was irresistible, Right? So what if we just started uh, (laughs) just living it, man? Because the last thing I'll say is this. My, My personality has always been extreme. So... I remember when I was super religious and and I was super religious. When I say religious, it was just, I say, I've kind of explained it today. I was a a lot of mixture of old covenant and new covenant, just real confused and and, uh, had a lot of problems with, uh, you know, self-worth and lot of my own journey you know I made this switch the first part of it was just uh, believing that God loved me and uh, wasn't anything like what I'm talking about today it was just kind of that he loved me and grace a couple things on grace (laughs) and then and and then my thing was I'm so extreme (laughs) that I was like, yeah, this is it, yeah. And, and I went from being like so religious and be like, yeah, this is it, and turn or burn, and I know it, and you're all going to hell, and this is it too. Yeah, God loves you, and anybody that thinks turn or burn, you're an idiot. I, I became religious about not being religious. Right? I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it makes sense to me. And it didn't change anybody. Because it was all up here. It was all just an idea. And uh, so what had to happen 
was a lot. <laughs> I had to let go of a lot. I had to get healed in my heart a lot. And, you know, God is very patient. And <clears throat> the older I get, I just realize That time is very precious, but we have time. And so, you know, what's the saying? Rome wasn't built in a day. So you, you, you don't, all of a sudden, if some of this stuff gets you really excited man, we just need to go and we need to, man, just shout this to every coworker, and I just need to, my um, advice to you as somebody that's like in my mid-40s is this. What does love require of me today? It's just real. What does what does it look like when Jesus says, "Love one another as I have loved you"? What does that look for in your relationship with your kids, or at work, with a coworker? Maybe you can't love everybody, right? I mean, the idea of that is that we do. One day, somebody does stick out to you that's homeless. That's great. What does it look like to, to love them that day? And that's, that's great. But then don't come to church or get on social media and make all the other followers feel bad because they didn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like your thing that you're doing, and, and it's very personal, and it's very rewarding. And, uh, and there's time for other people to do those things, and they'll do it, you know, on their way. And you, but you really did change the world that day, you know. And, and when you, you loved your spouse that day, you changed the world that day. And, and as we just kind of do those things a lot, and we start to lay down a lot of judgments and and uh, I don't think the world's getting worse. I think it's getting better. And I think I'm a part of that. And I think that, you know, like a lot of the, the racial stuff that's happening in uh, America, I know it seems like it's just a lot of people say it's just getting so divided. And, and I'm just being a part of being a friend to everybody and loving everybody. And, and how does that look for you? And so, just it, it just it only makes sense. It just makes sense in those moments, you know. And and <laughs> it it will just naturally happen. And I gotta quit. I'm just rambling on, but it will just naturally happen. It just does because he's in you. He's in you. Love is in you. And so. What will happen is this, all the things that we're saying in this series, 
they will start to make sense as you live them out. And you'll be like, oh, yeah. Okay. No, no, that's right. I did just love that person. Not because I have to, or not because if I don't, I'm going to be punished. It's because I... I'm like my dad. And he's love. (laughs) I'm not a screw up. I know who I am. I'm finding out who I am. (laughs) And uh, so uh, let's let's pray. (laughs) God, you're pretty you're pretty cool. You're pretty awesome. And uh, thank you. Thank you for love. And peace and joy. I thank you for uh, for knowledge wisdom and understanding and uh, how those things really set us free and when I think about these these Jews under the law and how hard it must have been on them when their whole world was being radically changed everything that they thought they knew to be true about you and life it had to be really hard to let those things go and uh, but you were patient with them and you're so gracious that it's really cool to me, like a father, you you knew that something that was really holding them back, the temple, you didn't, it wasn't just destroyed and taken from them as soon as Jesus established the new covenant day. <laughs> there was this this period of, of, of 40 years of just just grace and mercy and just because that's who you are and that's how you are with us and, and I thank you that in my transition of, of starting to see you and, and for so long I, I couldn't see you that that's how you've been with me. You've just been so gracious and kind and patient. Just like little breadcrumbs. And and my prayer is that um, I could be a part of this, this team here with Pastor Jared and the whole team of being able to, to help others have that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding and and find freedom so that they could see you and that they could produce kingdom in every area of their lives and 
and really change the world. And so uh, we just thank you for that. We love you for that. 